Welcome back to 162. On this episode, we pick AL teams, talk about several Alec Bohm questionable calls, and discuss the MLB shoe game or lack thereof. And then we're joined by Greenville Drive GM Eric Drinko. Here we go. Welcome back to 162. Uh, I put this anniversary directly for you. Today is the anniversary for the first time that Nike aired the Chicks Dig the Long Ball commercial starring Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox. Chicks Dig the Long Ball. Hey, have you guys seen Mark? That's a great anniversary. I, I thought you'd appreciate that one. I that was good. See. 1999. 1999 was the... Uh, the year that came wow. out. So I have one for you, the surprise one. Okay. Twenty years ago today, Jimmy Rollins hit his first major mm. league baseball home run. Wow. That's Does a, that make you feel old? It should make you feel old. That's what was he? Time. How many years? It was twenty years ago. Wow. That's crazy. He's uh he's in the booth tonight in Philly. I was listening to them earlier, and he's still the most uh he, he's like more energetic than I am. And he's a lot older <laughs> than me. Uh, that's a good one. So we've got a got an interesting show today. Uh, got a few just more conversational points to go over, like the AL teams. Some some really questionable calls. We got a couple different people writing in asking about. Um, and if we have time, some shoe talk. Obviously, with a basketball coach, uh, I felt like it was appropriate use of your time. And then Eric Jarenko, GM of the Drive, joins us. It's their uh, opening day on Tuesday, so he came on and talked a little bit about what the last year has been like for them, what it's been like not having a season. Uh, you know, if we, we found out that we lived uh, two streets away from each other growing up, which was weird in PA. Um, so it was, that was a fun conversation, but I think to start us off, I mentioned this to you last week and then I went to Twitter to get some help. Um, but I think we need to pick AL teams for the duration of this season. It, partially because that will help us be more balanced in our, our coverage of the league and partially because our team's, um, both both suck. So, <laughs> um, uh, you go. Do, do you already have thoughts here? What what's your what's your leaning when it comes to AL teams? Uh, it was down to two. I think my family allegiances the Cleveland Indians, but they're like as bad as the Braves are. So I I decided to go with the Twins, which are not much better. And you know what you're going to get. Like I just know that I'm already going to be disappointed at the end of the year uh, because the Twins but the Twins have talent. Like they're supposed to be good, yeah, but they always have talent. Right. <laughs> That's the problem. They they have talent, then they get the playoffs, and then they disappoint. So yeah, so I'll go with the Twins. So okay. the Twins will be my thing. That's good. The, the the Windians were also in my final four. So I, I I went to Twitter with a poll, and I had the Indians, the White Sox, the A's, and uh, the Yankees. Because if I'm being honest, I have a small soft spot for the Yankees anyway. Um, so I, I figured I needed to be, you know, transparent in that. And, um, I felt bad for the Indians. I kind of wanted, the, I kind of wanted them to win. Like I, for some reason I have an affinity towards the Indians. I like their uniforms. Um, I thought of it in a number of ways. One was the likability of the team style of play competitiveness, which hurt some of them, the brand, like I said, can I wear the hat? And then, you know, playoff chance, to be honest, I, 
I'm already stuck with the Phillies forever. Uh, I want the other team to have some chance to make the playoffs so that we have interest going into October. And hopefully the Phillies also will make the playoffs tied one, one right now in the sixth. Uh, but so that was kind of the matrix that I judged it against the, the people spoke up pretty loudly for the A's winning 41%. I feel like Moneyball had too much of an effect on that. The Yankees yeah. came second, 29%. White Sox third, 17%, and the Indians only at 11%, which I thought was unfair. I really wanted the Indians to do better. But um, going through all of that, Moneyball aside, which granted, Brad, Brad Pitt does as much for me as the next person. Like I uh, <laughs> I want to be affiliated with him. I think I am going to choose the A's for really two reasons. One is, do you remember when in like, I think it must have been the early 2000s, they had those crisp all-white unis and then all yeah. their guys wore white shoes. Yeah. That was dirty. Yeah. I really like those that look like the Eric Chavez, Barry Zito with just lettuce flowing, throwing those nasty uh, curveballs. That was in my head. And then the Moneyball stuff. And then the fact that they're from Philadelphia originally. They're the Philadelphia A's. So I don't feel like I'm totally betraying. Yeah. You know, And they have the best record of anybody in that list. So you might as well go with them. That's true. Because That's we've true. been very quickly all of our teams could be out. So basically we're, we're <laughs> we'll probably finish the year one for four talking about the A's only on this show. Right. Um, all right. So you're sticking with the twins. I'm going with the A's. That's good. That'll add a little bit of extra mix to the show. All right. The next part, and this had lots of, uh, lots of stuff, but it was, is the Alec Bohm questionable call. So I feel like this season, I know that refs and umps are always getting beat up and it's always a talking point, but this season specifically, Something is, is different with baseball. Um, you had the bone play on Sunday night baseball two weeks ago now. And then did you see the Marty Foster call with the Brewers? I think that's the one that really got people on fire. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've never there's seen a, a play like that. There's a bigger picture here and a quote that I paraphrasing. I hear a lot of people complaining about this, but I don't really hear a lot of solutions to it. Yeah. Or very good solutions to it. And so I think that call with the with the Phillies the other night is the perfect example of it where he gets called for running out of the base path and never left the base path. Yeah. And then it was clearly out at, at first base. And in that one play, you had both sides. Like, <laughs> we should go straight with just the umpires. And then the other side is like, we should go straight with just replay. And even and if you were both to, wrong. Both. Like, clarity. The, the, yeah. The, the point was is that, like, both of those show you that both of them are wrong. Yeah. Can be wrong. Yeah. I think the issue is the definition of what can be replayed because that that's a perfect yeah. example. And the Brewers situation. Uh, so recapping the Brewers situation, he called the ump called interference on the pitcher when he was running to toss somebody out at first and he didn't even get close to the base path of the, of the batter. I've never seen anything like that. He ran through the base after the play was over. He kind of turned into the batter, but I mean, the play was well over by then. And it's, it's Dom Mattingly afterwards. No, what did he say? Essentially like, man, I thought that was fine. Fine call. I, think it was, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was good. And you could tell he was just kind of like smirking behind it. Yeah. He would have got thrown out if it. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's this weird definition where if it's a judgment call, they can't review it, which is like, that's the only thing you should really in some ways call. I mean, some of the other things are much more obvious, but if it is a judgment call, 
like like the Andrew McCutcheon thing last night. He never once deviated uh, out of the base path, and the guy just reacted to what he thought McCutcheon was going to do. I don't understand how that's not. And I felt um, bad for him too because he's a young official, and so the whoever was calling it said like four or five times, like, man, the young official just didn't get that right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was like adding injury to insult. Yeah, Bryce got him too. Pretty good. I saw a uh, a breakdown. He got thrown out actually from the dugout, which is which is unusual. Speaking of throwouts, you were talking about this before, but um, you were bringing up that Joe Girardi had had a week. <laughs> That's a perfect example of like bad publicity is is there is no such thing as bad publicity. And yeah. I think it goes to the bigger picture of the replay too. We're talking about it because good things aren't happening from it. Which I know for the long term isn't what MLB wants. Yeah, I don't. I think that is bad publicity. <laughs> but, but there are people that are talking about it that wouldn't necessarily. I, I feel people that are kind of middle of the line fans are now actually talking and paying more attention to it, which may in the long run give them more looks from those people that wouldn't necessarily watch it. Mm-hmm. But Joe Girardi is a show in and of himself. He had a huge week. It was just a monster. I've never seen somebody so demonstrative. And you could tell he was, he knew he was going to get thrown out. So he got to the punch early and went ahead and threw the other guy out. (laughs) Phenomenal. Throwing someone else out as a manager is an incredible move. How how have we not seen that? How has no one? I don't don't understand how that's the first time that's ever happened. That was, that was fantastic. Oh, it's, it was right after Bryce got hit in the face and then DD got hit in the back and he just lost his mind and (laughs) threw throughout the pitcher or the ump. I'm not totally sure who he was even throwing out, but, and he was immediately tossed obviously after, after doing that. But uh, yeah, it was a great old man, old man move by Joe without further ado. I think, uh, I think we've stalled enough. Let's hear from Eric Drinko GM of the Greenville drive. All right, we've got Eric Jarenko, general manager of the Greenville Drive, on the show, and apparently my former neighbor. We were just talking uh, off off camera here, and uh, pretty crazy. It seems like Eric and I grew up very near each other. So thanks for joining the show, Eric. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's a, a small world. One, I've always thought the baseball community is a small world to begin with. You kind of know everybody as you get into this business or get to learn everybody. But yeah, to, to tell someone you're from Harleysville, Pennsylvania, and find out that grew up there too is I think unheard of. Yeah, it's wild, and and some of the you know similar uh, similar stories around Jamie Moore and stuff. So so you obviously grew up around the Philadelphia area. I'm sure played sports, but how did you get into baseball specifically? And then maybe uh, h- how did that leverage itself into what you're doing today? Yeah, I mean, I think like most uh, you know young boys growing up played little league, played high school baseball, uh, had dreams of playing professionally one day, but when you're five foot seven and not very fast. Those <laughs> dreams come to an end a lot sooner than uh, for most. But no, I had a really, I, I mean, I'd say it was a pretty solid career at Souderton High and had offers to play Division Two, II, Division Three, and kind of turned those down. Um, my parents were public school teachers in, in Montgomery County as well, and just the value of a good education. So mm-hmm. I, I honestly, it's a, it's kind of a unique situation because I came to Clemson originally as an engineering major um, okay. and in high school, despite 
playing three sports. Um, I would kind of characterize myself as a nerd as well and mm-hmm. loved t- computers, taking them apart, putting them back together and everything. And I kind of had these visions of, okay, Clemson's a great engineering program. That's what they're known for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came down to Clemson to start out as a, as a computer engineering major. And they, they kind of tell you your first year is going to be your hardest. Like they weed out 50% of the engineering majors their wow. first year. And, and they, they weren't kidding. Um, it wasn't that my grades report. I think I had a 3.0 GPA after my first year, but it was second semester of Monday, Wednesday, Friday of 8 a.m. physics, 9 a.m. chemistry, 10 a.m. calculus. I was kind of like, oh, no thanks. This isn't yeah. me. And at the time, Clemson was just starting a sports marketing program within their uh, College of Business and Behavioral Sciences. So I quickly uh, <laughs> transferred into that program. And I guess the rest is is history. I think my love for baseball and sports never wavered and thought, you know, this would be kind of cool. And when I uh, first graduated from Clemson, I worked for one of the Orioles affiliates um, as the assistant media relations director. And when you're young and out of school and you're, you know, you've loved sports your whole life, like that's kind of where you gravitate towards is that PR side, the media relations sure. side, because you're very hands-on with the players. You're doing stats, you're dealing with the media, you're doing those things. And I I honestly, when I came back to the drive in 2006 for their inaugural season and was named the media relations director here, I honestly thought I'd be here three or four years. I thought, you know, media relations is what I want to do long-term. I'll be here with the drive for a few years and then I'll either come back home to, to outside of Philly and work for the Eagles or the <laughs> Phillies in the media relations department, or I'll go back to Clemson and work in the sports information department. But, you know, as things went on and I learned more about the business side of minor league baseball, I was like, man, this is, it's a really cool industry to be, you know, hands-on with the business side, the operations of the stadium still kind of be involved with players and things like that. But as the joke is I tell people, even though I'm the general manager of a minor league baseball club, it's, basically the GM of the business operation side. The okay. Red Sox tell us like who our players are, coaches, they're making those decisions. The next time the Red Sox ask me for any advice on a trade will be the first <laughs> time. Um, so again, it's, it's while the title is general manager, it's overseeing the business operations. Um, it's not sure. general manager of the team itself. Cool. Um, but again, I've, I've now been, this is my 16th year with the drive. So I've been here since the very beginning of kind of worn, every hat within the organization and took over as general manager in the fall of 2013 when our initial general manager who he and I started at the same time, he kind of stepped away from baseball because our hours are pretty crazy, especially Mm -hmm. season. And he had four kids um, and wanted to spend a little bit more time at home. Cool. Yeah. uh, It's, it's interesting when you talked about the GM responsibility. So it's less, less uh people should come direct their howie roseman like anger yeah. to somewhere else right like that's <laughs> yeah. not yeah, yeah that's not what you're I, looking for yeah no i think we as philly people we all have a you know our opinions on howie roseman right now <laughs> while some people are like oh great he we have extra draft picks next year i don't trust that he'll make the right decision with those drafts Never. no but that um, is interesting so how, how does that work from a like obviously the red Sox, you know are are one of the top if not the most successful in the past decade or, or plus uh, organizations in baseball. So, you know, what's it like working for that type of organization in the role that you're in a, li- a little bit different, but you're seeing the stars of tomorrow and, and, you know, 
players who have won titles come through your system there. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, the the Red Sox have been a great partner now for our first 16 years. The way minor league baseball and major league baseball was kind of restructured this past off season, um, we signed a brand new 10 year agreement with the Red Sox. Oh, so by the time that's up for renewal, we'll have been partners with the Red Sox for you know a quarter of a century, which is which is that's awesome. I mean, it. It's great from the aspect that one, the all the folks we've ever encountered from the Red Sox, um, from top to bottom, have been quality individuals. Um, very easy to work with. Um, they love coming to Greenville too, which I think is nice. I mean, this is definitely a special community. It's a it's a great ballpark, and I mean, if you're a draft pick of the Red Sox and you're 19, 20 years old, and your first stop is Greenville, South Carolina, I mean that's it's pretty it's a, cool. It's a very special environment that those guys are in. And, and we know at the end of the day that, you know, it's great to win here in Greenville, but the end goal for these guys is development, make it to Boston or develop in a way that the Red Sox can use them in trades um, to get other big league pieces. Um, so again, while it's great to win games here, we know that the end goal is ultimately Boston. So you know, we always pride ourselves on from the fan side, the minor league baseball business model is we want to provide a family affordable, you know, fan experience, a great fan fan experience. And we kind of do that with the players, too, is we, mm. when we we want them to enjoy their time in Greenville. We tell them on day one that they're here like, hey, we know you guys have a job to do and that's out on the field. But. We, we know you're going to have friends and family come and visit. Let us help you take care of all that administrative stuff. Just give us advance notice. We'll set them up with their tickets. We'll help them find hotel rooms. That way you don't have to do that. And if you've got family, like we've got relationships with the Greenville Zoo and the Children's Museum. So if you need help with those things, let us help you take care of that so you can focus on the on the field stuff. That Because at the end of the day, we, we tell them, like, when your career comes to an end, and we hope it's in front of a locker at Fenway Park. As you reflect on your career, we hope you remember Greenville as being your favorite minor league stop along the way. So that's it's very important to us that we provide a great environment for the players as well as they progress. Uh, that's really cool, and I can I can speak from the fan experience. Obviously, everything you you all have built over there is really uh, impressive, but but also just really enjoyable. If you haven't been to a drive game and you're and you're listening to this, uh, their season is starting soon. You need to get out there. The the you know, big green monster and left the uh, facilities and the concessions and the playground for the kid. Like, there's just something for everybody to do. It's really accessible and enjoyable. Um, but you know, obviously, the we're coming off of a weird year in in well not even really a year i don't even know how that worked did you all did you all have spring training even or uh what what yeah in, in theory yes i mean because all the guys all the players within the red sox system report to fort myers florida okay kind of at the same time the the big league guys get there kind of right around valentine's day um and then all the minor leaguers are kind of a couple weeks behind but in a normal year, yeah, they're all down there together. So when everything was put on hold, I guess it was March 12th of, of 2020, mm -hmm. all of the guys were down there. I think actually our owner and I and our VP of marketing had just been down for a day trip to go over some stuff, some long-term planning sessions with the Red Sox personnel. So we had just been down there probably four or five days before everything got shut down. And when it first got shut down, I don't. none of us could have predicted 
what sure. ultimately happened. I think we were all kind of like, okay, there's this virus going around. Um, spring training is going to be shut down for two weeks while we figure out what the heck's going on. Right. We'll ramp back up. We'll have a season. We're just going to be two weeks behind. Well, then it it kept going. Um, the Everything lingered. Obviously, as the longer it drew out, the more emphasis was put on getting the major leaguers back up and the focus on their season. So, you know, we we were putting plans in place. We knew, okay, we're probably going to have to do, you know, social distancing was brand new to us March right. of 2020. And we're like, okay, we're when we have a season in 2020, we're probably going to have to do some type of social distancing. So what does that look like? So we we like to be very proactive. So we had all these plans in place when we thought we would have a season and, but as things, you know, dragged on, we were kind of like by, by I'd say middle of May, late May, we were like, at this point, there's no confirmation on the major league season. Mm. That's still probably at least a month away. And then they got to talk about us. There's, I just don't see how we can have a minor league season. And we, we started to think that way, even though nothing was official. I think the the nail in the coffin for our season came officially July 1. Okay. But we had started thinking that way kind of mid-June of, okay, we're not going to have a season. What does that look like from a staffing perspective? And unfortunately, you know, we had to make some tough decisions where we furloughed half our staff starting July 1. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're a, we're a front office staff of 30 which is small in the business world, but it's somewhat large in the minor league baseball world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the joke kind of around the office too, is after the, fr- after our owner, I'm like the next oldest person on staff at, 30, <laughs> at 39, well, pretty young staff. Hmm. But when you're telling young staff members who are 25, 26 years old, that they're being furloughed Sucks. in this environment, they ultimately think they're being fired, which hmm. you've got to reassure them. That's not the case. We're bringing you back at some point. We just got to wait this all out. And we put some things in place that most teams didn't. I'm happy to say we're back at full staff um, now as we head into the 2021 season. Wow. We brought back 10 of the 15 people that were furloughed and the other five, they found other jobs during that period. And that's the that's only great. reason they're not back. So I think it speaks to the culture we've built here within the front office. Because again, you can't preach that you want fans to have a great experience. You want the players and coaches to have a great experience and your front office not have a great experience. Right, so right. kind of, that's part of our mission as well. And I think by, I mean, cause honestly I was dreading when we furloughed those folks as, oh man, we're gonna have to replace 15 people. We're gonna have to train new people mm-hmm. and do it quickly. Cause we don't know when we're gonna be allowed to bring those people back based on when the 2021 season is. So I think that speaks to, you know, the level that of, you know, what we've built here over 15 years that we were able to bring 10 of those people back as we had. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's great to hear. Um, so how did that work from a, cause they've had this like very, you know, kind of shady or, or not shady, but it's just like, no one knows what's going on in this like area 51 alternate site that all the yeah. major league clubs are talking about. <laughs> so is, is that your, are your guys there currently? Are they getting ready for the season? Are they here now? Like what's, so what's I, going on? the plan? I, you know, in, in, a perfect COVID world, I guess you would say, is when they started spring training, I guess a month and a half ago, rather than doing the usual way of bringing all the guys together, because there's about 250 players plus coaches per per big, per big major league club, wow. um, think about it. So rather than having all those guys in there together, they first started 
with the the major league guys and the triple A guys or the guys that were projected to go to triple A because the triple A season was going to start in line with the major league season. So the plan was, okay, those guys will do their spring training six weeks, starting mid February through the end of March, get them out of there, bring the projected double A single A guys in and we'll, be, and we'll be a month behind. Hence the May 4th date. Well, I think there were, I don't know the full details. I think there were some concerns amongst the AAA team. So rather than leaving those guys at spring training and bringing the other guys in, they sent those projected AAA guys back to the alternate sites gotcha. so that the AA and single A guys could come in separately. Um, so again, May 4th is our opening day, and that's when all minor league will start at this point. So the, the, the AAA season got delayed about a month with us as well. Got it. So and and so your season starts next week. I think Tuesday, uh, May fourth. You're playing a, a schedule of a, about 120 games. Is that right? Yeah. So I mean, heading into uh, prior to this year, normal season was 140 games, 70 home, 70 road. With the realignment and the new partnership between MLB and MILB, it was in a moving forward. We'll have 132 games in a normal okay. year. So 66 home, 66 road. Basically losing one four game series on the at home and on the road. Um, so we'll have a little bit decreasing games that we're normal to, but this year with the late start, um, it's at the 120. Got it. And I'm sure there's a ton of pent up excitement on, on your team and you know within your office there. But anything specific that you're uh, particularly excited about, you know, in the stadium or on the field uh, going into the season? Yeah, I mean the biggest thing is I don't think we ever took it for granted but when you I mean it's been by the when we have opening day on May 4th it'll have been 20 months since our last drive baseball game I mean we've wow. had some college and high school games leading up to this season but yeah it's been almost two years since our last drive game and again I don't want to say we took it for granted but obviously going through a year last year where there was no baseball here you know I I think our biggest thing at this point is we're just excited to have the players and coaches back again, the the Red Sox do an amazing job with the staff that they supply us on the coaching front and just good people from top to bottom with, even with the players, um, mm -hmm. obviously they're really talented, but when you're asking guys to do things in the community and stuff like that, and there's no hesitation, you know, they're always up for it. You know, it just speaks to the quality of, of personnel that they get. And I mean, it's again, we haven't seen these guys in two years almost. Um, I was talking to our manager just the other night on, you know, some of the protocols we have to have in place this year to at least begin the year. But again, I think we're really excited to have baseball back. Welcome the players to Greenville because we love to show off this community. And then at the same time, we haven't seen our fans in two years almost. And yeah, a lot of those folks have been season ticket holders since day one. So they almost become an extension of our staff or an extension of our family. And, and again, we haven't seen those folks in almost two years. So I, I, that's what we're really excited about is just welcoming people back to the ballpark, even though to start the year, we are kind of on a capacity limitation, but we think those will ease as the season goes on. And by the end of the year, we'll back, be back to total normalcy. But again, it's, it, I mean, the alternative is another 2020, which no one wants. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm super aware of when the last drive game was because I was at it. Um, I had moved back to Greenville like two, three days before, went to the last game, and we lived on Rhett Street, which is okay. like 
two blocks from the stadium. So I had all these plans of walking to games all summer long, you know, and it's a small sacrifice compared to what most people had, but definitely feel like something was taken from me. Yeah. Uh, we, we've since moved a little further out of town, but, um, but very excited for the, for the season coming up. So um, that's great. That's great to hear. And obviously, uh, you know, we're, we're excited to see some games. I have to ask you on a personal note. I know we talked a little bit about the Philly uh, connections there. Is there any Philly sympathy, you know, left inside there or is it all Red Sox now? With No, with I mean, I, I honestly am still a diehard Philly sports fan across all the four major sports live and die uh, <laughs> with, with them. I mean, I think my, my joke has been too, it's amazing how how much I guess I've turned into my father watching the Eagles on TV, <laughs> yelling at the TV on Sunday. We all do. But it's great. I mean, you know, Gather Greenville is a block away from the stadium. I mean, you talk about a small world is the owner of Mike's Cheesesteaks inside yep. of, of Gather. Uh, my uh, One of my, uh, you know, family close family friends who, like, is almost like family, so I would call them aunt and uncle, he was – that family member friend was his wrestling coach in high school. Oh, wow. So, I mean, I, it's, it's almost like Philly is here. I can go on Sundays during the football season, pick up my Mike's cheese steak, take it yep. back to the house and yell at the TV watching the Eagles <laughs> here in Greenville, South Carolina. But no, I mean, we have a group text with a bunch of friends at home and we're always talking Philly sports. And, and honestly, it'd be interesting if the Phillies and Red Sox ever met in the world series. Um, because honestly, it, it honestly my my allegiance is to the Phillies. But cool story is, you know, anytime the big league club wins a World Series, the owner and general manager of each of the minor league affiliates get their own World Series ring as well. Oh man! So I do have. It was my first one in 2018. So I do have a Red Sox uh, 2018 World Series ring with my name on it and stuff like that. That's awesome. So, so again, it's like if the Phillies and and Red Sox ever you know, met in the world series. Is it you root for the team you grew up rooting for right. or you root for another world series ring to add to your collection? That's I think you'd be pretty torn. <laughs> I, I would just like for that to have to even be a thing yeah. you have to deal with. Like yeah. if, they, if the Phillies can make it that far, almost happened in 08. Uh, we thought, we thought the Red Sox were going to uh, be there in 08. Yeah. So, well, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get to see that happen. Well, Eric, really appreciate you coming on and uh, talking some some drive baseball with us. Again, season starts May 4th. Uh, down, go get your tickets. I guess, is it greenvilledrive.com? I, I yep. should have looked that up. Okay, yeah, cool. the website's the best spot. That, and kind of with everyone, I mean, everything, we're trying to limit as much contact as possible. So online tickets, eat printed home tickets, tickets to your phone is, is the best method this year. And that's all available on the website. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming on and uh, best of luck this season. Thank you. It was great. Great. And uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah. All right. Big thanks to Eric Dorinko for uh, joining the show and uh, and spending some time with us. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Really excited for the drive season. Tony, you're going to get down to some drive games this year. Yeah. I've missed them last year. Yeah, my kids are old enough now too, where we can go on family and have some fun with it. And so, yeah, that's my number one, by the way, if we want to get into those. Yes. All right. Let's get to uh, three strikes and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Um, let, what's your first, of the three strikes uh i've lived in two of probably the top five and i couldn't name for you the other three but i know <laughs> these two are the top two some of the top ones in the country but minor league top, baseball top, parks okay yeah top two top top two minor league baseball they're not the top two in the country but i would venture to say probably top 10 but floor field with the greenville drive 
and then the Durham Bulls Stadium up in North Carolina. I know that's one of the top minor league programs usually voted every uh, every year. So both of them like top notch. Those that haven't been to Floor Field, like you got the replica of the minor league uh, or replica of the Fenway Park. They even got the seats. They've added stuff behind it, and so now you can sit basically not even on top of the wall, but like at the top top overlooking it. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's incredible. It's incredible. Floor Field is. I've been to a lot of minor league baseball stadiums. I can't think of one that's better than it. I mean, just in terms of the atmosphere, there's not any bad seats. Like you said, it has the replica Fenway effect. There's like a playground for kids. They um, understood space very well, and they have maximized yeah. space. I went there when they first started and even the, the, some of the seats that I sat in, they demolished and put in new areas and they have used it. I know some of the people I, I have had, some of my students go down there and work, but the, uh, the facilities themselves, they've taken every square inch of that stadium and turn it into an event rather than just a baseball stadium. So when you go like it, you can basically do like 15 to 20 different things and it reaches a lot of different groups. And so somebody there's something there for everybody. And like you said, like there's no bad seats. It's got the open feel to it. Yeah. Like, it's, it's awesome. Great. Yeah. It's awesome. Keep your eyes open. We, Eric and I talked very briefly afterwards, but there could be, could be more things happening at, at floor field throughout the year um, mm-hmm. in regards to this podcast. Um, all right. Second strike. Uh, I'm not, this is, I don't even think this is a take. This is just a fact. Fernando Tatis, congrats to him. Only two more home runs until he's equaled his season total of errors for the season. So <laughs> he's uh, catching up slowly but surely. He's hit eight jacks, still has the 10 errors. So, you know, at some point that's he's going to catch up and, you know, uh, at least be even there and maybe have a whole game of above replacement. Still hasn't ma- matched my guy. Uh, he and Nick Maton, very similar wins above replacement. So I'm not even a Tatis hater. I don't know how this became my thing, but I just you are a Tatis hater. And so I'm going to go, <laughs> here's, our, here's our third one and we're out. Cause I'm going to give the Padres fans something here. First player through 162 games to have 40 home runs and 30 stolen bases. He can't field, but boy, oh boy, is he great on offense. Yeah. Especially if he only has to play 162 games over the course of three uh, calendar years. <laughs> then he can really light it up. No, um, I, I like Tatis. I like the Padres. I just think, can we just take it easy with the face of baseball stuff? Like, can we just let him, let him earn it maybe a little bit first, but whatever. Uh, it's not my decision to make. All right. That's, that's it for us today. Thanks again to Eric for joining the show. We'll be back later this week. And listen, if you're looking for more roundups and, uh, and, and things like that, of that nature recaps, be sure to check out our Twitter our pod or our YouTube, our Instagram. Now I think they are all at one, six, two podcast or our website, one, six, two podcast.com. And, uh, we'll be back with more episodes later this week. We'll see you.